Well, we have been looking in detail how Paul said to be like Jesus, who put everybody's interests before his interests, who saw everybody as more important than himself. And this mind that was in Christ can be in us as believers. As a matter of fact, when we receive the Lord and say, Jesus, be my Lord, the Holy Spirit comes into us and we actually do have that mind of Christ. And he further said last week, we looked at verse six and seven, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation or emptied himself is really how we would say it today taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. Now, he did not empty himself of being God. That's impossible. God is God. He's eternal. That'd be like saying we, God becomes finite. He can't. His nature is infinite. Nor can he be less all-powerful or all-knowing. But yet when Jesus came into human flesh, he gave up his glory. And he added, in addition to being deity, God, he added humanity. And in so doing, he went through the whole gamut. You know, imagine being God in heaven, being upon the throne, knowing all things, and then you're a baby pooping your diaper. Jesus did this. He humbled himself, not only going from glory, but going into the humility of human flesh. And he limited himself in space, in knowledge, in power. He limited himself for a season. And the time he was 12 years old, he realized, hey, my father not Joseph, my real father, God has a ministry for me. He was ready to start it, but both of his parents agreed together, too young. 12 years old was too young, even though he just had his bar mitzvah, no doubt, and he was considered a man. And Joseph at some point died, and, and, and Mary couldn't do without Jesus, the oldest son. And so he stayed around there, but finally at 30 in the Jewish culture, you now could leave the um, submission of the parents. You now, whatever the situation was, you had the right to leave and do. So at 30, he started. You remember the very first part of his ministry, Mary shows up to the wedding. And she says, hey, they ran out of wine. Take care of it. He goes, woman, what do I have to do with you? Now, sounds bad in the English and the Greek. It sounded, it was very respectful. In the, in the Hebrew culture, it's like, dear lady, what do I have to do with you more? In other words, I'm underneath that, that umbrella of yours. And, and then she looked at the servant and says, whatever he says, do it. I know he'll obey me. That's just Jesus. He's that submitted person. And he turned the water into wine. The very first miracle was Jesus submitting to his mother, to um, this earthly situation that he's in. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God Almighty, but yet being this humble servant. And so, and today we come and we further learn more as we begin to, to see the whole thing unravel more and more and more in greater ways we learn. And um, in Philippians 2, verse 8 and 9, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name. So being found in appearance or in fashion, the Greek word here, schema, is saying in every way he had become a man. This is literally what it's saying, that in no way was he superhuman. He set that aside. 
So he never took a shortcut to make things easier for him as God. You, you know, he didn't say, oh, I got to walk all the way around the Sea of Galilee uh, today to go to school. But you know what I'll do? Yeah, I'm just going to make myself appear there or fly there or whatever. He, he could have taken shortcuts all along or, man, I got a horrible toothache. I'll just take that away. He didn't do that. A matter of fact, as you remember, for Jesus to truly be the substitute, he could never do that. Now, at any moment, because he truly was also God, as I talked, mentioned last week, he was 100% God, 100% man. If I were to open my flesh, you would see the human Brian, and I was created in 1960. If Jesus opened up his flesh, you would have been vaporized. You would have been looking upon the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. No man can see God and live. But he veiled himself in human flesh. Isn't it interesting that between the temple and the Holy of Holies was a veil? And the moment Jesus said, it is finished, the veil was ripped in two. And now they can go and see only that which the high priest was to look at once a year, could see the Holy of Holies. And Jesus was saying, it tells us he went into heaven and he took down the veil permanently. And we all have access now to God the Father. Je Jesus says, yes, you, just as I have access to the Father, so do you equally. I'm a child of God, but so are you. And so here we see that in every way he was fashioned as a man. And in no way did, was he less than that. He didn't ever do a miracle in his own power. Jesus says 12 different times in John, of myself, I can do nothing. Only as I get permission from the Father and through the power of the Spirit, just like you, and then Jesus says, get it, it's not me being God in human flesh that's causing this. The works that I'm doing, you can do. And because you're not just living 33 years and because the Holy Spirit's going to be in you when I raise from the dead, you're going to do even greater works collectively as the church going to the four corners of the world. You, as the body of Christ, will do far more than I've ever done in my three years of ministry. So never did Jesus do it from his own power, his own resources. He limited himself completely in every way. He was a man. This is what this is saying. So externally, internally, the characteristics of a man were there. We remember back in Philippians 2.6 again, being in the form of man. He did not consider it robber to be equal with God. That's the word morphe. This word is parents' schema. But to morph into that, the full amount is there. I think the best way for us today in our computer age, and this is how it's mentioned in Colossians, is that um, he is a, what's that when you have it on the computer? The icon, right? So maybe the icon is a something artistic, or maybe it's a little mouse, or maybe it's a duck, or maybe it's a square. But when you push on that, that icon, what do you get? The full program, right? The whole program is there. So Jesus was an icon of 100% man, but also 100% God. So in the earth, you got 100% man. But in the spiritual realm, 100% God. And that's why Jesus says, the words I'm speaking to you are spirit and life. They're not just my words. All things that I have said, I have first heard the Father speak. And then I repeated the Father, just as you will do in the same way. And so again, we come back to that verse 7. He emptied himself, taking the form, morphe, once again, of the bondservant. 
and coming in the likeness of men. In every way, he was a man. So let's understand that Jesus is going to tell us that he is going to become humbled as a man. And as a man, he's going to be fully obedient. Verse 8, once again, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So if Jesus stayed in heaven, he couldn't really humble himself because he's the greatest. Who, who is there to humble himself under? Oh, with the Father, that relationship, sure, that definitely did happen. But if he comes down into human flesh and he's just a poor carpenter from Nazareth and he's a Jew, now he has the opportunity to show his true humility before all men. Jesus in heaven on the throne wouldn't suffer there. So obedience, you, you understand? Obedience, submission, it only works when it's something you don't want to do. If somebody says, I want you to obey me and eat that piece of chocolate cake right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> the whole point of obedience is you really don't want to do it. But you put on your brakes and you fight your flesh and you do what the other person wants you to do, even though it's hard and difficult and you don't want to do it. So Jesus on the throne didn't have the ability to suffer and obey. He had to leave the throne of glory. He had to leave the pleasures of heaven. He had to leave all of that power and all of that ability in order to be the substitute for men. We know that passage in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, well, don't we? He became poor that we might become rich, right? Through his poverty, we become rich. So Jesus had to leave heaven. He had to come to earth. But he couldn't come to earth and fulfill his ultimate promise to the Father that he would be the Savior of all men. He had to come in the lowliest of human flesh, and he had to humble himself and become obedient, empty himself, as we talked about, completely to what point? To the cross to endure not just a difficulty, but to, endure, to, to be a part of a, a difficulty that would, in the garden, remember what he said there? Father, everything in me doesn't want to go through this. And he was straining to, to obey, to submit, to do, go through this difficulty. But as I wrestle with that, he was 100% man. 100% man, you see. Well, he, he, knew, he knew he had raised from the dead. No big deal. Just a few days, he'd be dead. Three days, and he'd be right back at it. No, he was 100% man. And the strain got to him. And his blood vessels began to break. And the blood came out of the sweat glands. Not my will, but thy will be done. And he asked over and over again, is there another way? And the father said nothing. You, you think you, you get bummed out about not having answers to prayer? <laughs> Jesus didn't hear anything. It was nothing. But he knew what the father had said, so he didn't really need to hear it again. And this is why, again, guys, I just a little side note. I think the most offensive, rebellious, evil thing a man can say is there's another way to God except through Jesus. Do you realize how evil that is? I mean, imagine you have a 21-year-old son who's just this brave, 
heroic guy, and, and he sees somebody getting ready to get hit by a car, and he jumps, and he pushes the guy out of the way, and your son gets hit and killed. And then people are going, wow, that's, that's tragic, but, you know, it was really unnecessary. That guy wouldn't have got hit. Your son just, it was sort of foolish, actually. How would that make you feel as a dad? Especially if you were there watching it, knowing that's completely untrue. So when you say to God, you didn't need to have your son die, that's stupid. Because you just, people can just be good. And then, of course, there's always Confucianism or Hinduism or the, the Muslim religion or or, you know, there's so many ways. It's like a wheel and all these spokes lead to the hub. And, you know, everybody's got their own way and God accepts everybody's way because, you know, he's a cool guy. We're all cool people and everybody's going to make it one way or another. Well, let me tell you something. It costs the father dearly and the son. If Jesus didn't need to die, he ends up looking stupid. The the the. The joke's on him. He goes through this torture. He dies on the cross. He raises from the dead. And the father, angels are, they're smirking. They're all trying not to laugh. There's 600 other ways to get to heaven. You didn't have to die. But now we got 601. So that's good. Feel good about that. Do you understand? It makes the father evil for having his son die when it wasn't necessary. And it looks, makes Jesus look absolutely ridiculous dying when it was completely unnecessary. So the, the Christianity is this joke or it's the most loving, heroic story in all of human history. But it's got to be one or the other. But do not say that offensive thing that God, the same God that had his son die on the cross, gives other ways for people to get to heaven. He's going to say to them, well, you're a good Muslim. Come on in. You're a good Jehovah Witness. Come on in. You're a good Mormon. Come on in. You're a good Hindu. Come on in. No, there's one way. There is no other way. If there was another way, just one other way, then Jesus would not have died, but he humbled himself. It says in Hebrews 5, 8, that it, this is how deep his obedience went. Though he was the son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. As 100% men, as all of us do, we went, go through the difficulties and the hardships, and we, we learn how good good is. And we learn how bad bad is through experience, don't we? And so did Jesus. But don't, he didn't just die, guys. He humbled himself. He was obedient to the point of death, not just death, but to what extent? The death of the cross. So from the glory of heaven with the Father to a cruel Roman cross, hanging there with the jeers and the anger of the crowd, being despised and rejected of men. What a tremendous downward course. From the highest height to the lowest low, all the way down, even to the depths of the death of the cross. What a tremendous plunge. What a great downward depth Jesus went for us. You know how the Romans looked at the cross? They said never would a Roman citizen ever get humiliated like that. We won't allow it. It was a practice that the Syrians had because it was the longest way to torture somebody over days. You see, they hung on that cross and at times they'd give them water. <laughs> they'd give them whatever they need to keep them alive because they wanted them to suffer, suffer, suffer morning, noon, and night, 24 hours a day for days before they finally died. 
They would never humiliate a Roman citizen that way. The Jews, however, had a verse in Deuteronomy 21, 23, but Paul quotes it in Galatians 3, 13. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written in Deuteronomy 21, 23, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. So the Jews are looking at this going, this is God speaking that this person is cursed. Jesus became a curse, didn't he? We, we know this well, don't we? 2 Corinthians 5.21, he, he who knew no sin became what? Sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. And there that moment happened where the Father turned even away from Jesus, completely forsook him as is going to happen to everyone who goes into eternal hell. I just want us to stop and understand this, that Jesus didn't just come down to earth and was a man and, you know, had, you know, he was an upper middle class and, you know, he had this, you know, it, was, it wasn't, it was hard to be a man, but it was like, hey, there's some, he just sort of cruised through it and died at 33 and rose again three days later. And yeah, it was, it was a cruising thing. no. I like what Robertson says. The bottom rung in the ladder from the throne of God. Jesus came all the way down to the most despised death of all, a condemned criminal on the accursed cross. Hebrews 12, 2, he endured the cross, despised in the shame. Hebrews 12, 3, considered him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. You know, it says here in verse 8, I didn't just say the death of the cross, but it says even the death of the cross. Clark, Clark writes in his commentary, what must sin have been in the sight of God that it would require such abasement in Jesus to make atonement? Spurgeon the lower he stoops to save us, the higher we ought to lift him in our adoring reverence. Blessed be his name. He stoops and stoops and stoops. And when he reaches our level, he becomes man. He still stoops and stoops and stoops lower and deeper yet all the way to the cross. What do we see here? That Jesus was fully humble, more than any other person in history ever could. He was God upon the throne. Their seraphim that would sing, they had two, two wings that covered their eyes. Two weeks, they cut, two, week, two wings, they covered their feet. Two wings, they flied. And all they do is say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the Bible says they... They fly around the throne doing that because heaven itself can't contain the glory of God. It would explode if God's presence and his glory is not continually spoken of. That God, <laughs> loved of his father, the joy of heaven, he came all the way down into human flesh and he died. No one else can do this. And you know, his whole life was like this. He had 33 years of hell. Isaiah 53 tells us in verse 4 and 5, surely he has borne our griefs. Or other translations, sickness. Or our sick, sinful ways. <laughs> However you want to look at it. He bore our griefs. He bore our sick, sinful ways. He carried our sorrows, our, our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Everybody in Nazareth goes, man, there's somebody that God really hates. There's somebody that never, things never go right for him. His whole life's a struggle. Look, his dad died. He has to raise all his brothers and sisters, and they're all in poverty and hardship. I like the New Living Translation on this last part. It says, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, 
a punishment for his own sins. That's the way they thought. When he's hanging on the cross, they're like, finally, finally, we, we, we can finally speak what's really the truth. And there he is with two, two common thieves on each side of him. He's just a nobody criminal. And, and the facts are there. He didn't get hung alone. That all focus would be on Jesus. He got hung between two thieves. So he's just white noise in the midst of this crucifixion as people go by the road and look up and jeer at him. And then it goes on in Isaiah 53, verse 5. <clears throat> but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or crucifixion for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I just want to stop and just mention, guys, you know what a miracle it is that we're here right now? Do you know what a miracle it is that we want God's will? When you know, I was listening to the singing today, and I, and I was there thinking, if Christ hadn't changed our heart, we would hate Jesus being proclaimed. When I was in college, I went to a Christian college, and uh, my, my friends, we were just so on fire for the Lord. God was moving, and we'd see each other across the campus, and we, we, we would go give the one-way sign and go, praise the Lord, and they'd scream back, praise the Lord. We were just so excited. But I remember people just mocking us. And I remember one guy went off in my dorm just like, I am sick of you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, we probably were a bit on the annoying side. I, I, don't, I don't disagree with that because we were, we were off the scale excited about Jesus. But it was just angering to them that we had our Bibles with us and we're sitting up there on the grass and reading our Bibles and talking about Jesus all the time. It's like, can't you talk about anything else but Jesus? Can you please just go and say and praise the Lord? Don't do the one-way sign. I just said, oh. And I know that's me without God doing the miracle of touching my heart, returning me to my shepherd. In John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus humbled himself into this human flesh, and he had friends that wanted the Father the way Jesus explained the Father. They wanted to follow the Father as Jesus the Son followed the Father. And they wanted to be this servant of all men, obedient to God no matter what the level. They wanted that in their lives. How far must Jesus be brought low to save us? You know what Jesus' answer to that is? However low I must go. He took our iniquities. He took our transgressions. Yes, the ugliest ones of all. I remember James Dobson went to Ted Bundy, the serial killer, <clears throat> and shared the Lord with him. And, and Ted Bundy, on death row, received the Lord. And you can see it. I think it's on YouTube. I think they, they show that, don't they? With, I'm not sure if they do or not. But, but outside, there were people that were Christians. They were holding signs up and this one person said, I'm a Christian, but if God lets Ted Bundy into heaven, I demand that God send me to hell. I want to be as far away from Ted Bundy as I can. Now, on a human level, I can understand that. But I understand also that Jesus said there's not one sin that he didn't bear, whether people receive him or not. 
He paid for that sin. No matter how grotesque. And of course, if we go by Jesus' calculations, if we have anger in our heart towards somebody and says, you idiot, that's murder. So who is not a serial killer in God's book? If you want to look at it that way, we all have been forgiven from murder, at least that in our hearts. So salvation, I just want to talk for a moment here and just say salvation of the cross for all who believe. The cross has saved us. The blood that Jesus shed upon the cross, his stripes that he received before he was put on the cross, the piercing in his body while on the cross. It's the message of the cross that saves. you understand? It wasn't Jesus had a heart attack and died. <laughs> it wasn't that some Roman came up and stabbed him in the back right through the heart and he died from a stabbing. Do we, do we understand this? He went through the absolute humiliation. He endured the despising. He endured the shame, the embarrassment. His own mother was there looking at him naked upon the cross. All his followers were there looking at him as a common criminal upon the cross and people walking by not knowing because he was just completely matted with blood. They put a crown of thorns upon his head. And when you do that, your, your brow just bleeds. If you ever had a cut on your forehead, you know what I'm talking about. Jesus' face would have been blackened with dried blood. Matter of fact, in Isaiah 52, it says, his visage no longer looked human. His base face was beaten. His eyes were puffed. Probably could barely see at all out them. His head was bloated. Like if you ever see anybody in a bad car accident, their head swells up like a, a watermelon. You can't hardly even see the nose and the eyes because the head's so swollen. His beard had been ripped out so it was little patchy spots of skin or hair even left out of his head, the same thing. So chunks of hair sticking out and, and mostly bald from this head being, his hair being ripped out. His beard, maybe a few little patches of beard left. But he looked up there as sin, as a curse. And so let's think about the cross as I read these next few verses in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are, believe, who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In Romans 10, verse 11 through 13, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There is one, no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. One more in John eleven twenty five, And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. Jesus' death on the cross changes everything, changed all the world because he died for our sins. That moment in time where God came, left the throne of glory and died for our sins. Do we understand that? He paid for every sin. We're going into verse nine here. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Therefore, when the therefore, you got to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And the therefore is always there referring to what came before it. It's, it's sort of like a line where you say, add everything up for, that's above this. So let's add it up. 
Therefore, because Jesus was willing to leave his throne in heaven, Therefore, because Jesus was willing to humble himself and become a man. Therefore, because Jesus was willing to humble himself even further by becoming a servant of all men. Because Jesus was willing of himself to go to whatever degree necessary to take away the sin of the world. Because Jesus humbled himself with a humility that is unmatched by becoming the Lamb of God to be sacrificed for the sin of the whole world. That was all the sin that was laid upon him. And to die as a criminal before men, hanging between two thieves, bearing the humiliation of the hanging on the cross. Therefore, God the Father is going to highly exalt Jesus, his Son, the word exalted, highly exalted, it's, it literally means super exalted. I love this word. It's huper hupsaho. Huper hupsaho. Let's all say it. No, let's not do that. <laughs> Somebody will walk by going, they're speaking in tongues. I, I thought, I, but huper means super, super exalted, like no other. The Father is going to exalt him. Spurgeon says this. Now just pause over this thought that Christ did not crown himself, but that his Father crowned him. That he did not elevate himself to the throne of majesty, but that his Father lifted him there and placed on him, or placed him on his throne. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Stephen saw it. There's Jesus. I see him now at the right hand of the Father. All power, all glory. The Father has given. I I think a better word there is he has bestowed upon him. Sort of like the the king knighting one of his knights. Jesus has bestowed on him a name which is above every name. He has given or he's bestowed. God is the one giving the name. And the name that God is giving is like no other name, referring more about the nature than the actual name. When we talk about the name, we're really talking about the uniqueness of that name and and what the name means. And in this case, Jesus' nature is unique. You You know, another word to say that is holy. I know I grew up in a holiness movement and I hate the word holy. Because they would use it as a bat to hit you over the head. God's holy and you're not. You don't pray enough. You're not reading the Bible enough. You're not giving enough. You're not holy enough. You're lusting too much. You're angry too much. You're, you know, and, and it's, it was sort of like holy was this thing that we'll never attain to. And you should feel bad about it every day that you're not holy enough. It was horrible. And then I learned about grace. (laughs) And the Bible actually says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. What is he saying? I'm going to do it. My Holy Spirit's in you and you're going to get there. In human flesh, are we going to get there? No, that's what Paul said. I, I am, far as I know, Asking God to live the crucified life like no other. But I don't think I'm perfect by any means. No way. I'm I'm not that. The name. In the Hebrew culture, it literally was synonymous with what it meant. In, in In the Hebrew culture, and there's other cultures today, you got up to a year or more to name a child. Because you had to see what their nature was. Unless you're like Esau, you come out of the womb, Harry. It's like, that's Harry. And then Jacob has a hold of his brother's ankle. Well, that's Hillcatcher, or hold of his, his hill. Okay, we, that's, that's an easy name. But what is Jesus' name literally mean? Yahshua in the Hebrew. God, my salvation. We would say Joshua in English. Jesus in Spanish. But we say Jesus, but also Emmanuel. That's another name that God gave him. I am the word. 
We're going to see in Revelation the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's not one name, but there is one nature. So we would understand that and say God gave him an exalted nature because there is nobody that's done what Jesus has done. He came in human flesh. And when Jesus' body rose from the dead, he for all of eternity is now in a resurrected human flesh. Remember when he was raised from the dead, he said, here's the scar still. Doubting Thomas, put your hand into my side. It was, must have been a pretty big hole. Put your finger into the hole in my hand. That must have been pretty big. The scars on his brow. They were still there. They're going to be there for eternity. We're not going to look at them and go, oh, oh, so bad. Now we're going to look at them and go, there's none like you, Lord Jesus. Nobody that's ever humbled himself to the degree you've humbled yourself. There's no one that's ever been that obedient to their father or to God, your father, to the degree you were. And nobody has accomplished what you've accomplished. So Jesus was God in spirit. There's the Father, Son, and Spirit. They're all the same substance. There's one God. Lord God's one Lord, but he's in three persons. And that second person of the Trinity, God, came in human flesh and will be that way throughout eternity. So Jesus, when he went back to heaven, in every way, he was God. That never changed. The glory that he had before, he says in John 17, you, Father, you're going to give me back to that same glory. But then the Father says, no. Because you, Jesus, have never sat on the throne like this before in this resurrected human flesh. What does that human flesh speak of? The incredible love of God that cannot be fathomed. The incredible willingness that God loves us to sacrifice so much. And so when we think of Jesus, we think of the salvation he brought by coming in human flesh. I love these verses. In Matthew 1.21, it says, and she will bring forth a son, This when they're talking to, about Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then a few, a couple of verses later, they say, behold, the virgin shall uh, be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So they didn't literally call him Emmanuel, but th this is his name, God with us. He literally came into human flesh with us. Look at the nature, but I also want you to take a note. He's talking about the salvation of the Gentiles. But look at his nature in human flesh. In Matthew 12, verse 17 to 21, that he's talking about a prophecy out of Isaiah 61. And it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. It's talked about in John 3, how the Spirit came on him without measure. And he goes on, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. And he will not quarrel nor cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flack he will not quench. Till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will trust or believe or receive. Who is he? Sometimes when I go out to the pier and I witness some guy out there screaming, and it's like, he did not lift his voice aloud. He didn't scream at people. And when he saw people that basically had no hope, he didn't just see the branch and there's just a little tiny bit of holding onto the tree and just pick it off, break it off and, you know, clean your teeth with it. No matter how small or hopeless that little branch was, he bends it back and ties it up and, and heals it to become a branch again. 
And when he sees the candle getting ready to go out, he doesn't just snub it and then pour the oil in and then relight it. No, he makes sure that it stays lit and he tips the bowl and he slowly pours in the oil until it's full without ever snubbing out the fire. He was so amazingly gentle. In John 1.12, And as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his, what? Name. Acts 4.12, Now there is salvation and no, or any other, other than, excuse me, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In John 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In 1 John 5, 13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He is faithful even when we're not faithful. He grabs onto us. He never lets go. This is saying in sanctification, being sanctified in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, uh, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. When we pray, the power comes, the uh, Answers to prayer comes when we pray in the name of Jesus. In John 14, 13, and 14, but whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything, what? In my name, I will do it. In John 15, 16, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And in John 16, verse 23 and 24, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in what? My name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy would be full. What is the lesson that we've learned here? That Jesus had a portion that no one can ever meet. (laughs) Because nobody is God upon the throne, eternal. And then coming in human flesh and then going all the way down below what any 99.99% of humans will ever go to. But Jesus' distance between the two, none is greater. But yet, as he humbled himself, he, the Father now wants to exalt him above every name. But God honors our humility. In Proverbs 18, 12, it says, before honor is first humility. Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Interesting, the spirit of the Antichrist, he's going to exalt himself. Babylon is going to exalt itself and all of them are going to be brought low. In 1 Peter 5, 6, here's a great one. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. The older I get, the more I like that. (laughs) Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Next week, we're going to be looking at the next couple of amazing verses that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. And Lord, we just want to leave here to realize that your love for us was far greater than we ever understood. That your abasement was far more than we ever reckoned. Your suffering and your enduring suffering was far longer than we ever could have imagined. Your whole life, 
was difficult, that you might be tempted in every way, that you might suffer in every way a man suffers, that you could be our eternal high priest interceding for us. But we also, Lord, just come to say thank you that not one sin is left unpunished in you. That not one sinner, no matter how great that sinner may be, he also can believe and be saved. That you didn't just take the sin of the top 10% least sinful people, but you went all the way, all the way down for every person who will ever live on this earth. You paid for their sins. You washed the feet of everyone, no matter how low, wicked, evil, sinful, wretched and poor that person may be. You, King of kings and Lord of lords, will give them all heaven with you in eternity because salvation is in the name of Jesus and you're rich to all who calls upon your name. And so with that, Lord, we have such great hope. We have such a great gospel because it's not, not for anybody, it's for everybody. There's not one person that we could talk about that it doesn't, it doesn't apply to them, it applies to them. Every single person you thought about on that cross, every single sin you paid for on that cross, that every person in our world right now, you were a base that you could lift them up, that you could be their savior. Lord, search our hearts this morning as we take communion each and every, the first of every month here, Lord. Let it be something deeper. Let it be something more precious. When we understand how deep you went, Lord, let us glorify you in a way we've never worshiped and glorified you before. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen.